My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Most of our conversations over the last several months have emphasized the struggles of maintaining a food business during the pandemic, from adding delivery concepts to indoor dining floundering to building and heating their street patios. Today, we're excited to hear how a West Coast business has been able to grow and increase employee benefits during this challenging time. Our guest today is Laura Anderson, owner and operator of Local Ocean Seafood in Newport, Oregon. Laura comes from a small boat fishing family and has grown Local Ocean from a market with a small eatery attached to a full-blown restaurant with double its original capacity over the past 15 plus years. So we're so excited to welcome you to the show, Laura. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. How have you been? Hi, great. Uh, good to be here. We've been uh, we've been hanging in here on the Oregon coast, doing pretty well, actually. Good. Yeah. So it's interesting because I know you, um, your team has been talking to our team about uniforms and and different things, um, and. What was interesting to us, I mean, tell us, you know, to start off, tell us a little bit about your business and how it's sort of evolved over time in the last, you know, year specifically. Yeah, well, as for all restaurants, it's been very tumultuous for us this year. Um, Here in Oregon, we had a mandated closure period Initially, as many restaurants did, flipping into a takeout model. And, you know, that's just a lot harder than some people even realize when you have to start up online ordering and new payment methods and new ways of engaging with customers. So that was kind of an initial challenge. Um, We our our big change that we made this year that was very uh, fortuitous and useful for us was developing a seafood meal kit dock box. And that started out as just a way to feed customers in their own homes by sending seafood um, already packaged and the meal kits ready to go that they could finish preparing at home. And that's been a very successful program for us. And in fact, uh, we're doing about 300 meal kits today for the Thanksgiving holiday. So it's, it's kind of become a big part of our overall, um, our overall revenue stream. So that's the dock box. So that you've always had a seafood market, but the specific meal kit is what's really scaled for you guys. Yeah, it really has. We started just in our local community doing dock box pickups for residents of our town, but our town's only 10,000 people. So we started packaging it for our neighboring college town, which is about 50,000 people, and then eventually extended into Portland, which of course is a major metropolitan city, and now Bend, Oregon as well. So we load up uh, the pre-ordered boxes into our van every week and take them to pickup locations where uh, customers have become accustomed to getting their weekly seafood fix. And how did you reach the new customers in like Portland and these areas where you had never been before? Well, we've always had a really strong um 
social media presence and a really supportive fan base from the Willamette Valley. In fact, it's not uncommon for us to hear that people made the drive all the way to our restaurant, which is two and a half hour drive from the major urban center, just to come and eat lunch. So when we put it out on our social media that this was an option, I think that was probably the primary way that we reached customers. We kind of got the feeling that we were reaching the same customers over and over again, having had DocBox up and running for, oh gosh, uh, probably about seven months. So we started doing some digital um, advertising with some of the food-centric and regional uh, travel magazines. So that's been a new way for us to expand our, our customer base just in the last few weeks. Interesting. So now you're, so you're doing like paid media, obviously. Now. That's right. Yeah. And we just, this is the first time we've ever done that kind of advertising. So creating digital content and tracking that is also learning some new things uh, for <laughs> us and requiring some new skill sets from us, but our our staff has been really committed to just doing whatever it takes to keep seafood running through and to keep people working. Well, tell us what, for listeners' sake, the people who don't know your business, tell us a little bit about what your business was before the pandemic. Were you guys, I know that you're a fish market and you had some restaurant capacity. Were you also wholesaling to other restaurants, to other businesses? Or were you just were you supplying into your own um, into your own business? Yeah, so really the whole basis and premise of local ocean is that we have this direct access to local sustainable wild caught seafood. So one thing that sets us apart from other restaurants is that we have a wholesale fish dealers license that allows us to buy direct from boats. And we have about 50 different boats that we regularly buy from to supply our restaurant. So that in and of itself sets us apart from any other restaurant that I know in our area. Um, we had been doing about uh, 90% of our revenue stream through our dining room and about 10% through our retail fish market. We had a little bit of catering that we were doing, but catering's never been a huge part of our business. It might have comprised less than 3%. So we were very dining room focused and dependent um, up until the point when the dining room closed. Uh, we're very seasonal here in Newport. So we'll do 75% of our annual sales in that three month summer window of basically you know, kind of mid-June to mid-September. Uh, so when we shut our doors in March, it was kind of our shoulder, our slow-to-shoulder season as it was, but missing that summer um, peak was really something that uh, was the hardest on, on our sales uh, overall looking back at the year. I was going to ask a little bit about your team. I, I know that you are very employee-focused, but how is your team... Were you able to keep some people and are, they, are those people that were servers and cooks and stuff before, are they helping do Docbox now or did you have to have a new kind of 
team that knew how to do a packaged food like this? Yeah, so we went into the pandemic with about 50 employees, and we currently have almost every single one of those employees. I think we might be That's amazing. Three, or, three or four employees down. So wow. when we closed our dining room, initially we furloughed most of our front of house staff. They went on unemployment for a period of time until the dining room reopened uh, the first part of July, but we were able to keep our back of house staff employed throughout the dining room closure. And that was with DocBox. So uh, when we reopened in July, we resumed a smaller size dining room service and takeout and DocBox. We had everybody working pretty much full time. And now that uh, we're in the slow season, and in fact, at the present, Oregon is in a two-week freeze, which has reclosed our dining room. Some of our front-of-house staff are on temporary furlough for that uh, period of time, but over half of our staff are still working. And in fact, when I left the restaurant this morning to come and record this with you, we had probably 15 people working, uh, packing Doc box and preparing for to go service today. And how's the market doing now? Do you still is it mostly you know doc box sales or are you still seeing like some of your market channels grow too? So um, it's been pretty variable throughout the year in terms of the proportion of doc box to dining room when. Dining rooms were open across the state and the country. We did see a drop in our dock box sales. People just had more options and they were going out more. When the freeze came a week ago, dock box sales spiked back up as people did not have that option to dine out. So um, probably at the present time, it's about a 50-50 mix. Our retail fish market also has had an increase in sales overall this year as more people are cooking at home and shopping, you know, at the at the fish market to prepare to prepare more meals. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's nice that you have these different levers to pool. Um, and I know Alex asked, you know, about like your staff, but how was like the retraining process for now being like, okay, instead of working front of house, you're going to be, you know, packing these meal kit boxes and helping with delivery. Was there any challenges or friction or everybody just, you know, how did, how did you make that switch and, and train people quickly? Yeah, well, um, Really, kind of to my surprise, we had almost no resistance to getting people to take on new tasks. I think that they were grateful to have the work. And for a lot of workers in the front of house, honestly, there's some burnout that comes along with (laughs) doing that job over and over again. Many of our servers are professional career servers that have been in the business for maybe, you know, 10 or 20 years now. And I think that they were kind of excited to do something new that still stoked out customers, but wasn't so customer facing. So we would uh, schedule 
people on kind of a, it was usually the, the intention was to have four or five serving shifts to two or three dock box shifts per week that provided full-time employment with some balance in the work week and seems to have worked well. Today, as the dining room is closed, those people are able to come in and work just straight dock box shifts. Um, I think a big part of their willingness and ability to take that on had to do with how we changed our compensation program for servers. Um, we made a decision when we reopened in July to go with a, an automatic service charge in our dining room of 20%, and that replaces voluntary tipping. So what we were able to do when the house is able to retain that service charge and redistribute it in the form of wages to everybody, it allowed us to pay high wa higher wages for what would normally be lower wage tasks. So packing a dock box might have been a minimum to just above minimum wage task in the old model that might not be very appealing to a server if they're not getting tip income, but because we have elevated their pay for all of their tasks, they're earning the same, whether they are in the dining room or packing dock box. So their motivation isn't driven by loss of, you know, what would be those tips. Is that built in? Is that number built into the price of the dock box and the margins there too? It is. We um, had to really look hard at our pricing model. We were somewhat overdue for some price adjustments on our dining room menu. And we also took the opportunity to price dock box with what we consider to be living wages built into to that. And I'll say we still do accept tips. Some people feel the desire to uh, leave additional gratuity on the service charge, and that's great. Um, we also get dock box tips through the um, online store. So those are distributed to staff. Um, they decided that they wanted to distribute their additional, to pool their additional gratuities as a shift crew for that shift and distribute them equally. The cool thing about that is that servers are no longer in strict competition with each other for tables and for turns. They're really working together better than ever. Um, and I think their job satisfaction as such is really high too. We started a new job category in addition to server that's called a shift boss. Our dining room manager was unable to return to um, work due to health concerns when the dining room reopened. And instead of rehiring a dining room manager, we have these highly skilled, qualified professional servers uh, 
who can rotate through these shift boss positions acting as floor manager, and they're paid the same as if they were serving and they share equally in the additional gratuities if they were serving. So it's really given us a ton of flexibility in terms of how we've been able to manage different shifts, different jobs, and um, it, it's been it's been really helpful. How is the customer feedback on you know some of the long overdue changes in pricing and stuff, and, and as well as the twenty percent uh, service add on? Yeah, I was really really worried about it. Um, we had been contemplating a service charge for really several years. I thought this was a direction that the industry could and should be heading and uh, was a little fearful to actually institute it. Uh, A couple of things that we did early on with customers was to do some social media posting about it. I wrote a very heartfelt uh, letter to customers explaining why are we doing this? We've been trying to figure out how to provide more meaningful, more equitable pay, health benefits, and better economic security to all of our 50 employees. And the voluntary tipping model is just an obstacle to that. Um, I don't think that most customers really understand what the legal and regulatory challenges are to sharing tips in a restaurant. And I also don't think they realize how voluntary tipping can have both racist and sexist biases built into it. So bringing that to their attention, I think was a big part of it. And letting them know, making the promise, me as the owner, making the promise that all of the service charge that is collected, 20% of the food and beverage sales for in-house dining, will be redistributed to staff in the form of living wages, health benefits. And so that's a, I'm very open and very transparent with my staff. Every year I do what's called the full Monty, where I show, I open the books and do a PowerPoint presentation with all of them, showing them what our labor costs are, what our food costs are, what all of our costs are, and what our bottom line is. So I think that they trusted me when I said, I'm going to take our old labor cost percentage and apply that. And then I'm going to add the 20% in. And by the end of the year, I'm going to guarantee that all of this will be distributed. And it's not all just in wages. Because servers previously, many of them were working part-time. And that wasn't their choice. It was just the reality of our seasonal work. Um, year here where in the off season, there just isn't full-time work for servers. Well, now there is with Docbox and with having more jobs available to them. So they're uh, able to now avail of health insurance. And we onboarded 10 of our front of house staff onto our health insurance in October, which was a big win for us. Our goal is to get that number all the way up to 100% of, of full-time staff are availing of the health insurance. So that was a pretty cool thing. Um, we were also able to increase wages to back-of-house staff too, which was also a big part of the promise, was that 
we would be redistributing, you know, the monies um, throughout the whole house and not just to um, one sector. That's really, that's really inspiring and amazing that you were able to increase everybody's wages and get, you know, buy-in from, from the servers. Because I think a lot of times, and it sounds like it works, it's working out even better for them because now they have you know, full-time work year round. Um, because a lot of time that we do here, like it's, there's a huge wage gap, as we all know, between back of house and front of house, uh, you know, obviously. And so we often hear that it's the, um, the gratuity is sort of um, changed the service model to redistribute some of that pay inequality to back of house. But it's amazing that you also were able to redistribute that to the front of house too, and that these career servers really bought into it. Um, yeah, and I should be clear that, that not everyone is making as much as they were. Um, we have, oh gosh, 15, 16 servers on our staff. And we did an analysis uh, at the end of last month to look at earnings compared to the previous year. And, you know, there's always those really high performing servers on your team that just make bank because they can turn faster, they get a higher tip percentage, they're very efficient, they're big upsellers. So we did have two of the 16 on our staff were earning less dollars per hour than they were previously. But what we do find is that everybody is doing better than they would have been under COVID if we hadn't have done this. Because just by reducing our dining room capacity by 50% and seeing our dining room sales drop by 30%, we would have just had less shifts available. So those, even those heavy hitting servers would have been working less hours. So their overall earnings are better than they would have been. How this translates when we move back into a full um, dining room, hopefully in 2021, at some point we can resume our, our dining room service in full. You know, I, there's other benefits to this than just how what your average dollar per hour is with your tips. I think People are just really enjoying the uh, teamwork and the camaraderie that's coming from being uh, able to share the dining room more and not scrap for that last table, being willing to transfer tickets to actually get off the clock rather than staying on the clock for an extra hour, um, being willing to do those managerial roles and even hosting and busing. Uh, sometimes that comes as an expense to me as the owner that I'm paying a server twice as much as I would a young person to do a busing role. But as most owners know, we don't want to be out there busing all the time. <laughs> so just the fact that you can actually get a server to step in and fill a busing role uh, if a buster calls out is a huge value to me. So I appreciate that part of it. It's really, I mean, it's really interesting. So you, um, so you're anticipating continuing this new labor model, even after, um, even after dining rooms are able to reopen fully. Yes, absolutely. I, um, 
we started the conversation with staff like in April and May um, and went through several meetings with them to really talk about how they wanted to work together and what they saw. So I know that they're bought into it. The customer pushback has been really limited. Sometimes, if anything, it can be a surprise, even though we've posted throughout the restaurant and it's posted on the menu. Every once in a while, a customer is surprised. But um, because the servers are behind it and they're explaining that, you know, this is going to create, you know, living wages for all of us. And we have defined what that means for us as a company. We're we're talking about what is a living wage and what is a professional wage. So um, I think the customers feel okay with it and customers are still tipping and that makes them feel good. A lot of customers want to give more and we totally allow that. So the, the way that you've like redistributed the wages obviously is staying, you know, even when dining rooms reopen, what about doc box? What is that part of, do you think that will be a part of your long-term business strategy? Will you try to scale that? Or is that something you think once your dining rooms are busy again, will will sort of fade away? Yeah. You know, you never really know. I think if there's one thing I've learned in business, you just don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. But my expectation is that we will continue to run DocBox as long as people want to continue to buy it. Um, it reaches people who we weren't reaching. And even if the dining room is reopened, there are still going to be people that are two, three, and in the case of Bend, almost four hours away that want fresh, local, wild, sustainably harvested seafood. And they're if they're unable to get it in their own community and we can deliver it to them, then yeah, let's keep doing it. We're unable to get it in our own community. I'm, I'm like, I'm jealous. I would right. totally be a dog box subscriber. I would love to have that. Let's take a, a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to hear a little bit about supply chain now and how supply chain is going to be affected when you pick back up with the addition of DocBox. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a cheese landian because I take cheese seriously just like they do in Wisconsin. Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese, and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. So we're back with uh, Laura from Local Ocean. And we're chatting a little bit about her uh, business out in Oregon. And um, before we took a, a break, we wanted to hear about um, your supply chain. I know that uh, you talked about having over 50 boats that you you guys pull from. Um, how has that been affected by the pandemic? Are there le less fishermen out on the water? Or, or, you know, are they um, are prices? much cheaper because there's less restaurants to supply right now. What, how has it changed? Yeah, um, all good questions. When 
The pandemic first hit, I think the initial panic that uh, seafood buyers felt was, you know, let's just not buy because all these restaurants are closing. And traditionally, restaurants take about two thirds of the of our national seafood supply. Only about a third goes into grocery stores and retail. So that did tie up some votes for a period of time. Uh, markets have been somewhat tumultuous this year. It's very species dependent. So um, it's kind of nuanced. Things that are big global markets like the albacore tuna has been impacted more than species that are very close to home um, and are only available here in Oregon. But yeah, it has been tough in terms of pricing. We tried to keep our pricing as consistent as possible for the boats that we buy from. So we paid our, at our usual annual price for our albacore tuna this year, even though the market was down. And that's just part of having good relationships with fishers. We have to keep those relationships strong. We, our whole brand is built on buying local and buying direct and having that story. So keeping those relationships is something that's very important to me. Have you seen the market rebound at all as people, you know, and have you seen it shift too as people are, like you said, cooking at home more and buying more from retail locations? Yeah, there's been a huge shift in the market that um, we're seeing more retail sales of seafood and more e-commerce sales of seafood, um, you know, anywhere from 30% to 300% increases for some markets and some species, um, both for retail and e-commerce. And I think that was kind of encouraging for us in the seafood business generally. And I, I guess I say us because even though I have one restaurant and one fish market in this little town in the Oregon coast, I very much see myself as a part of the bigger seafood industry for the West Coast. Um, it's been encouraging to see some market diversification. It's been a challenge to get consumers to buy seafood and take it home and cook it. Many people find it intimidating or uh, maybe they had a bad experience once with seafood, which turned them off, you know, for a lifetime. So to see customers willing to uh, come back to seafood and to find that, wow, this is actually really easy and this can cook really fast and finding the health benefits of seafood again has been, I think, a bright spot for the whole seafood industry. Are you putting some of that education into like the doc box? Like how do you, you know, if you have customers who are not used to cooking for themselves and not especially seafood, which people might foresee as being temp more temperamental, how are you educating the, the home consumers? Well, it's kind of cool because just by making a doc box, you're actually proving to yourself that you can do it. <laughs> um, we, you know, we give you the, the fish, of course, is filleted. Our secret sauce is in the box. The vegetables are chopped. 
The recipe is very clear and easy to make. For most items, if you have a burner and a saute pan and a little bit of olive oil, you can make the box. So I think that people have found that they find that it's actually really simple um, and it's taken the fear out of, of cooking for some people. Um, we do some other education. We have some videos up on our YouTube site and there's a lot more that we'd like to be doing in that regard. Um, and I also, I, we send out our weekly email that has, because our doc box changes every week. So every week we select two meals from either our main menu, things that are local ocean classics, or the chef has created like some special uh, meals for doc box as well. So um, you get to try something new every week. And uh, we send out, um, you know, a little newsletter and an email, and it gives me an opportunity to talk about different um, educational things. Last week, I was, uh, we had oysters and black cod. And I, you know, took the opportunity to talk to people about what a great choice they're making for their immunity. We're all trying to build our immune systems for lots of reasons. And, you know, we're moving into the winter and how the, the vitamins and minerals and especially oysters are really high in zinc and, uh, you know, some really, some really uh, supportive phytochemicals the omega-3s in black cod reducing inflammation and just helping to support their choices for themselves and their families and eating the, well, the recommended daily allowance is two servings of seafood a week. For some, like myself, I eat two seafood servings a day, but um, <laughs> if people are at least getting their two servings a week, they're really greatly reducing their risk for heart disease, cancers, and a lot of other health complications. I'm jealous. Alex grew up in Louisiana and is like used to eating seafood every day, and it's tough living in New York City and not having great access. So I think yeah. we're we're super um, we're you know we're jealous, and it's amazing of what you're scaling and doing, and not only like growing a different business, but also redistributing how you are compensating your employees is su during this time is really inspiring. Um, so thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, we like to shout out, we're going to move to the opening soon announcements. We like to shout out people who have either like recently reopened or are going to be opening soon. Um, so I know I didn't prep you on this, but I don't know if there's anybody in your community or in, um, somewhere else on the Oregon coast that you want to shout out. Well, as far as we haven't experienced as many business closures on the Oregon coast as they have in, say, Portland and in the city. So I feel really blessed in that regard. Um, but, uh, you know, here on the Newport Bayfront, um, Moe's Chowder, uh, Clearwater Restaurant and uh, Nana's and Sorella's in Night Beach, we've all really worked together very closely to get through the pandemic together and to support each other. I'm just very grateful for fellow restaurateurs here. That's amazing. Why do you think that it, why has, why do you think your community has been able to make it through and been better equipped than say like some of the, some of the other restaurants in the major cities like in Portland? 
Yeah, I have to say I'm not 100% sure. I've kind of asked the same question <laughs> to myself. <laughs> but um, we have a fairly small community here of 10,000 people. So when in the summertime, our businesses scale up so big, as I said, we have this huge seasonal push and then things really quiet down in the winter. So maybe we're used to that, you know, hot and cold on and off kind of switch that mm-hmm. gets gets pulled here every year. Um, also, there still was a fair amount of visitation to the coast this summer. People see the coast as a safe place. Let's go to the beach. We can be outside. We can, you know, take the kids and be, um, you know, outside safely. So maybe that was another reason. We also just have not seen the um, rate of infection that the cities have because of the smaller size of towns here. So that could be part of it too. Granted, I know it's been really hard on a lot of the restaurants here and we'll see how much longer we can hang in there. But thankfully the losses have been very small compared to um, the, our city counterparts. Hang in there. Amazing. Um, well, there are still amazing businesses opening here in New York City too. So a couple of those I want to shout out is Mel the Bakery, which just opened on Ludlow Street. Um, she's doing like ancient grains and really cool stuff. And they're open on the weekends. Um, and Frenchette Bakery as well took over the old arcade bakery space. I've just been like buying all the pies and looking at all the bakery for Thanksgiving. So that's like all that's on my mind is new bakery places kind that of are opening. Where, like, carbs carbs make you happy i think it's funny i was thinking about this there's so many bakeries that have opened there's like party bus bakery it just in our community and i'm like i think there's this return to carbs and comfort (laughs) yeah um but anyways well this is a really great interesting conversation and again congratulations on just not only changing your business, but making a better business for everybody. Um, Al, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. And, and for, you know, for keeping your, your team together and um, improving their lives in this pretty difficult time for, for most people. Um, thanks again, Laura, uh, local ocean. Uh, we'll put a wrap up of today's show until at NYC.com. And we'll also send one out to your inbox. So if you're not already on our email list, then please get on our list. Um, Laura, how do we find you guys on social? Well, you can go to localocean.net on the web and there's links uh, to us or just search in Facebook for Local Ocean Seafoods or Instagram and we're there. And they can do DocBox directly on your site. Is there anywhere that else that DocBox is available? Nope. We only sell it direct through our Shopify site and we're not shipping direct to door at this point. So we just have our four pickup locations in the cities that I mentioned, Portland, Bend, Corvallis, and Newport. Uh, and you can follow and find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till NYC. Thanks again. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.